in three, two, one. The leaders and organizations who are emerging from the pandemic successfully have prepared for an uncertain future and have the confidence to overcome any challenge or obstacle in their path. COVID is the great reset. You can leverage the COVID reset to drive your business forward, redefine your vision and outperform your competition. To help us navigate the new normal, our guest, Kathy Kulasha, will share her insights and strategies to inspire confident, apology-free leaders for your business or organization. Join me now for my conversation with leadership expert, author, speaker, and coach, Kathy Kulasha. Well, hi, Kathy. Welcome to the podcast. Where are we talking to you from? I am in Las Vegas, Nevada. Las Vegas, Nevada. That's been your home for how long? Well, I grew up here. I left in 1985. I just aged myself. And then I returned in 2007. Oh, wow. <laughs> Where did you go to from there? Oh, my gosh. I graduated college and I got a job out of college and I went to Indiana, Indianapolis. Right. And then I went to New Jersey and then I went to Phoenix and then I just kept moving around back West Coast, East Coast, mostly East Coast, mostly the Northeast in the hospitality industry. Well, you were in corporate for a number of years. Let's give our listeners just that 30 second background of where you came from and then how you evolved. And we'll talk about that. So talk about your hospitality, your background in the industry. And what I'm curious about is what was that aha moment where you decided you had enough of corporate life? And then how did you transition from that corporate world to speaking, training and coaching? And I'm sure it has its own challenges and has it been worth it? So give us a little rundown. So I went to UNLV and got a degree in hospitality and went and did that for over 30 years. I worked my butt off and grew up from the hotel operations side, right. ended up running hotels and then ran multiple hotels and then got this amazing job running a loyalty program for Wyndham Hotels before it was the biggest timeshare company in the world. And the company got sold and I went off to Hyatt for a couple of years and then my brother texts me and said, Hey, there's a job in Vegas. Do you want to come back? You need a job, right? I'm like, well, that was like two years ago, but I'll look at it. <laughs> Time flies, sure. right? And I moved back to Vegas and those last three jobs, the running the loyalty program and at Hyatt and here in Vegas were all corporate level positions. And I had an amazing run. And then I got, well, my sister hates when I say this, but I basically got fired, but I got restructured or whatever you want to call sure. it around the recession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So basically got fired and got kicked off the train and it was around the holidays and I just couldn't go get a job right away. I've been working for over 30 years. I worked my butt off. I had a little bit of money from a couple real estate transactions and I took some time off. And then I called one of my friends who had taken a year off and I asked her what it was like. And she's like, it was amazing. So I decided against everyone's advice to take a year off. And then I fell into the wellness industry because I went to a couple job interviews and I just couldn't walk into a smoky casino and see myself back in that corporate environment. I was exhausted. And I had about just the edge of my pinky of my soul left. (laughs) Just just a remnant. Yeah. Yeah. And if you plant it and take care of it and water it and care for it, your soul can grow back. So I worked in the wellness industry for 10 years. And then I went to some toast masters meetings and met some people that were speakers and joined national speakers association here in Las Vegas and hung out. And then 
Somebody helped me get a job doing contract training and I started getting paid to speak. The irony is, is that I was kind of getting started in the wellness side of my experience, but by doing contract training, I found my love for leadership. And so now I talk mostly about leadership and love what I'm doing, but it's not easy. It's hard work, as you know, but it's been worth every minute. Oh, that's excellent. It has its own challenges. And as a woman, I know in corporate world, you've had to deal with those challenges and we'll mm -hmm. talk about those as well. And then in your coaching and your training and you work with men and women in both of those mm -hmm. environments, yeah. but I'm glad you made the change from corporate. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It wasn't a choice because I got fired. Right. Right. So I don't know that if I wouldn't have lost my job in 2009, I don't know that I would have ever quit because that takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage. And you're on a fast moving train, right? And right. it's good money. Yeah. There's a lot of perks with it. The world had a different <laughs> direction no, for me to go in. Sometimes yeah. I think getting fired is the best thing that can happen. I know oh we're talking gosh. to some of our friends and colleagues. Had this not happened, this would not have yeah. happened. And so exactly. if we look at embracing change as a constant, you know, shift mm -hmm. happens, then you just want to be able able to adapt. And I know you right. work on resiliency and how do we adapt? The only things that are certain and leading during that uncertainty, as you talk about, it's that old adage, death and taxes is the only thing certain. Right. So now we've just gone through something. The pandemic's been brutal for just about everybody, yep. whether it's interrupted their workflows, their supply chains, whether they lost their jobs entirely. How has that affected or change the workplace in your view? And has it affected men and women equally? So we'll start with the men and women equally. Research shows it has not affected men and women equally and that women are definitely paying a higher price. Right, right. Now, but I'm not gonna say that only women take care of the kids because actually I have two sisters whose husbands stayed home with the kids longer than they did, Right. but they're the next generation. Their twins are 18 years younger than me and their generation is different than our generation. But women typically, typically ended up at home with the kids. And then if you look at women who are single moms who have no support yeah, system, real, real yeah, they're definitely taking a hit and research shows that women have been affected. I also think though, that women have learned that when they go off and do their own thing and control their own destiny, they end up sometimes with better results because they don't have to negotiate or ask. They just go out and work their butts off. And as a result, they pay themselves what they're worth <laughs> instead of no, having to it's, ask. it's the one way to do it. As a professional speaker, I remember speaking one time and I was with Tom Peters, the management guru. Mm -hmm. And when he opened up his talk, he's talking to the audience and he says, hey, CEOs, listen up. And this is 15, 20 years ago. He goes, mm -hmm. fire all the men. He says, fire mm -hmm. all the men in your organization and in your company. And then he paused. And of course, everybody's gasping. The women were plotting and they thought that was good news. And what he was really saying there is he says, look, don't fire all the men, but men, we mm -hmm. need to start looking at the traits that are natural. And I don't mean to genderize it. I have five daughters, mm -hmm. but there are natural tendencies and skill sets that are almost internal. It's almost in the DNA mm -hmm. and it comes from the nurturing. It's working relationships at multiple levels mm -hmm. and men can do it too, but we have to learn. And what's interesting mm -hmm. in every college, a university, whether medicine, everything except business, women are leading the way. Like there's more mm -hmm. women than men. So Business is still that last bastion where it's not caught up or changed. Like I say, I know they've had to deal with it and make changes as well. Yeah. Now that all goes to confidence and you talk about confidence and mm -hmm. you've not always been a positive, confident person. Matter of fact, mm -hmm. you personally have struggled with confidence, self-image mm -hmm. and having to compete in an industry dominated by old school thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about that. I think men and women both suffer from confidence. Let's be honest. It's right. just it's different, right? The way men look at it and the way women look at it is different. For women, we equate a lot of our confidence to how we look and appear right. first, 
right? And you being a dad, this is probably one of the things that's most frightening for you is that, (laughs) (laughs) or it should be, well, it's too late for that. They're already already gone. Yeah. Yeah, They're adults. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you gave them permission to work on themselves, but my confidence originally was rocked based on a nickname my father gave me. And so when I was about nine years old, he gave me the nickname Slim, S-L-I-M. I I wasn't slim. I had a few extra pounds on me. I wasn't obese as a child, but I wasn't thin. Right. And I looked at myself in the mirror through the eyes of my father. And instead of seeing this cute, adorable little girl that I was, I saw myself as unattractive, as ugly, as fat. And I took that belief into my adult life. And as women, we equate a lot of our confidence is what we see in the mirror or when we stop looking in the mirror. And I had to overcome that now because my dad also told me like many parents or somebody in every child's life tells him, you're never going to equate to be anything. Almost everyone says they have somebody like this in their life. I worked my butt off. So I was very successful. I was a person that worked hard and did everything to the best of my ability, but it never felt like it was good enough because I was fighting Mm -hmm. against this belief that I was never going to equate to be anything. And when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like what I saw because I was looking through Uh, a filter, right? right? It was a lie, right? right? It was a lie. And I don't remember, it was like probably in my thirties and I was overweight the bulk of my adult life. And I remember just this moment where I'm like, you know what? I am where I am. I worked my butt off. I've gotten accolades from all my bosses, people like me, and I'm going to stop trying to be something that I'm not. I'm just going to start loving myself where I am. And that was the first, yeah, it's a first step to accept. Once you accept yourself and you start loving yourself, then you can start taking better care of yourself and really living into who you really are. There's a great book that I love. It's called The Confidence Code by Katie Kay and Claire Shipman. It's written for women by women, and it talks about the difference between men and women and confidence. And so what I learned from that book and just learned from my life is confidence comes from one of two places. It either comes from your skill set or your mindset, or let's say the lack of confidence. You're either lacking a skill set or it's a mindset issue. And I know mindset is way overused, but if you have the skill set or the competence, because competence equals confidence, if you have the competence, then there's some stinking thinking, which is what I had as a result of that stupid nickname, Slim, that my dad gave me. If you lack the competence and you just got to go and learn the skill. Right. And then that will bring the confidence. Build that confidence, build it. Now see, men are men. So that's a big difference between men and women. Men, there's research out there. So they explain this in the book on LinkedIn, because a lot, most people are on LinkedIn, right? So you get those emails that says, here's a job and you meet seven of the 10 qualifications. Right. Men will go seven. I can figure the rest out. Right. Women are like seven. Ooh, I should have nine before I apply for that job. I'm measuring up. All right. So women are less likely to apply for a job that men will apply for, right? Interesting. Because Mm -hmm. they don't feel they're as qualified as they should be. So in some ways, we're probably leaving jobs on the table unless we can go, you know what? No, seven is enough. I can figure everything out because men are doing that. And we aren't always doing that. Sometimes we talk about the inequalities between men and women, but as women, we have to advocate for ourselves. We have to have the confidence to apply for jobs and ask for the money that we deserve. That's right. And I think women, we have to stop thinking this way. So when I was a general manager, 
I would go to these general manager meetings. They'd bring us all in at, at Wyndham Hotels and 80% of the general managers were men and 20% were women. So you have this feeling of you've got to survive. You've got to do a good job. You've got to be excellent right. what you do because you've got one of the few seats at the table. Right. So instead of looking at it, like let's create more seats at the table, women were trying to hold onto their position and it felt like it was a competition amongst women to have the few seats that were available. And we need to look at it differently. Let's create more seats for women at the table. But when you're feeling you're competing with all the other women, and also I think it's two things, the women at the top are killing themselves to be successful and survive. And the women below them do have some envy and some jealousy. And so instead of lifting those women up and pushing them up and supporting them and saying, look, what can I do to help you? They're envious and they want that seat. Right. Instead of saying, let's get a seat next to her. Right. Right. Yeah. Or um, expand a seat. That's a good point. And where they're trying to compete instead of supporting it. And that's the point. And I know you work with men and women on a one-on-one -on -one yes. basis as well in group sessions and such, as well as one-on-one. -on -one. But in your work with women leaders, and I want to single them out for a moment, and men too, I guess, what are they telling you? What are they worried about? And are they seeing progress? Are we getting better at this? So a lot of times I have the safety of sitting in my pink room right. now, the pandemic, right. and I really strive to remember what it was like because it's not much different. Right. I mean, I spoke at a conference several weeks ago and one of the men said to me, and I'm paraphrasing here, maybe making it a little bit worse than it was, but he's like, there was somebody that talked about generations, right? And neurodiversity. And there's a couple different topics about being accepting of other people. And one of the biggest challenges, some more seasoned people that's code for older have older people. With the newer generations is that they've got to start adapting now to these generations. And this guy sitting next to me at lunch said, First, what's the women, right? Women got in the workplace, women got jobs, and now we got to deal with generations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I started talking to him to try to explain. I'm like, ah, eh, no, never mind. But that still happens. I had a woman tell me she got a job that was mostly male dominated company and she did get the job, but they were honest with her and said, we were a little nervous about hiring you because we thought you might be a feminist because you're in a lot of women's organizations. And then the Me Too movement, somebody I spoke to that said they were really nervous about hiring women because what if they got sued? One of my friends, one of my speaking friends got an issue with the he, she, they. Now look, right. I'm a baby boomer. I'm 60 years old. I don't understand it, but he was like, look, I don't really appreciate it. It's 1% of the population. I'm like, it's not just 1% because there's an entire generation of people who are going to be open and embrace the differences amongst people. And they're going to respect this step to acknowledging he, she, they. So no, they may not all need the they term, but they respect that people need that term. That's right. So by not honoring maybe 1% of the population that fit into the category that would choose they or them, you're actually alienating an entire generation of people who will honor and embrace all diversity. So right. it's not just about one person or 1% 1 of the people. And I think people in our generation, there's a smaller group of them that will be open to just being able to listen and understand because we can't change the millennials or the Gen Zs and they can't change the baby boomers. No. Right. We can only change and adapt and right. learn to understand how to respect the differences and the cultures of all these people that we face. And let's be honest, women in the workplace and in leadership have made all leaders better.
Yeah, I think so. And we're seeing CEOs and major mm-hmm. organizations, and we're seeing political leaders and yeah. evolved. We've now got a female vice president. So we definitely need a female president, in my view. And what you talk about with diversity and equity and inclusion and learning the pronouns. My daughter's taught me all the different pronouns, how they work. So mm-hmm. I practice whenever I can possibly do it. Yeah. And it's just new thinking. And you touched on this in the corporate world. This isn't said out loud publicly, but behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, if I'm hiring two people and I'm looking at, say, two millennials and one's a male, one's a female, and I'm looking for a key role, we won't say it because we're not allowed to by law. We can't ask certain questions, Mm -hmm. but I guarantee you behind closed doors, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Well, if we hire her, she just got married. She might have an interest in having family or children. That Mm -hmm. means it's going to put us on a a back burner. We're going to have to put someone else in here. They're both equally qualified. Let's give it to the man. And that still goes on. Those conversations still go on. I've witnessed them. Different countries have different rules. Men mm-hmm. can take a year off and help raise the kids. And in America, we're a little behind the eight ball when it comes to that, mm-hmm. where you, say you get a few weeks from maternity or paternity when you can, if you're lucky, if your company's forward thinking. But women still don't get the same shake at this, right? I've heard men say, oh, I lost my job to a woman. And I said, well, you lost your job to someone better qualified who happened to be a woman. So mm-hmm. you try and correct them whenever possible and change yeah. those gender roles, right? Yeah. And so yeah. the younger generation seems to be a little more tuned to that. Mm-hmm. So I think we are making a little bit of progress there but it's got to still be frustrating. And I'm only talking to it as a man. I have five successful daughters, all professionals and are competing. And they'll still tell me stories where they have to make exceptions or apologize Mm -hmm. for things. And I want to get to that because you do talk about apology-free leadership and it definitely is something I want to talk about. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Kathy Kulasha. In your coaching work with women, particularly, you show your clients how to leverage their strengths and men too, and talents mm-hmm. on how to become more confident and let's segue right into it, become an apology-free leader. What do mm-hmm. you mean by that? And does that apply yeah. to as men as well? Yeah, the irony is it does apply to men. The thinking behind it was as women, we typically will give a disclaimer or the way we interrupt conversations, the way we give our opinions, we will say, excuse me, I have this idea. Maybe you'll think it's okay. Or it's just a different way. Part of it is that men and women both are not comfortable with assertive women. Right. Right. And most people don't know, understand the difference between aggressive and assertive. Right. It comes across so as we, bossy, bitchy. I've heard all right. the negative descriptors. Yeah. 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 So there's a, this little joke. What's the difference between assertive and aggressive? What? Your gender. You yeah, know? exactly. Men raises his voice or gets aggressive. He's a strong mm-hmm. leader. When a woman does it, it's like a lookout and yeah. it, it she doesn't get the same uh, courtesy. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I've done it too. I mean, I judged women as who does she think she is when all she's doing is asserting herself, speaking her piece. Yeah. Like right. just giving her opinion. And the definition of assertiveness is 
standing up for yourself, advocating for yourself and others without violating the rights of others. Right. So aggressive is you're advocating for yourself, but you're doing it at the expense of others. But women struggle with this because both men and women are uncomfortable with women who speak up and advocate for themselves and others because it's new for women to do this. It's a cultural change for us because we think about the 20th century leaders. We talk about them a lot. They were all white men. And now you've got these diverse leaders and we still haven't adapted our acceptance of women in those roles. So apology free, what it is today is you lead in a way that you don't have to apologize for the results of your leadership. When women walk into a boardroom, we'll oftentimes take a seat away from the boardroom table. Right. Or we'll say, excuse me. Not you know, the power I position. You're not going to yeah. the power position. Yeah. And we're apologetic for having an opinion, even a simple little thing that we'll do. Somebody will say, oh my gosh, I love that outfit. Oh, this old thing, I got it at Ross. It <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And instead, you know what? Just be like, look, I killed it at Ross. Just be yeah. like, thank you. Oh my gosh, I love this too. Thank yeah. you so much. I remember part of my story of my father calling me slim was I had all these I am statements that were negative. Mm. I am ugly. I am weak. I am old. We talked about this at another conversation. I learned this idea of changing the way I looked at myself because I really would not look in the mirror. And one of the ideas that they gave me when I learned this technique is to flip your I am statements to the opposite of what you believe. So one of the big I am statements I had was I am ugly. Oh. And I wanted to flip it to beautiful, but it was hard to do because when you believe something about yourself for like 30 years, right. you can't just write it on a post-it note, slip it on your mirror yeah. and say it and believe it. Well, growing up, I mentioned my sisters who are 18 years younger than me, I'm the oldest and the baby of the family. Krista used to say to me growing up, you're the most amazing, most beautiful woman in the world. And I want to be just like you. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. But I shrugged it off. Right. In my head, I'm thinking, worthy of it. No, you don't. You have no idea. I'm not. No, no, no. And I never said it to her, but I would think that. Nope. And so when I learned this idea of having these positive I am statements in the morning affirmations, I learned to have a muse, somebody that you looked at yourself through their eyes instead of your own because you're jaded. And so I would look in the mirror and I would do all my I am statements and I would say, I am beautiful. And I would literally look in the mirror and say, what does Krista see in me? And I would look at my profile, I would look at my face and I would just look and I would just ask myself this question every day when I do these I am statements. And over time, I started to see the beautiful woman that she saw, her right. older sister, who she aspired to be like. Right. And it took years, right? But that's part of our apology, us being apologizing for showing up. Even right. simple things like that, these beliefs we have about ourselves that are lies that my father did not intend to scar me for life. No. I was the first child. I pop out of the womb. There's no user manual. Now I'm not a mom. So I'm sure the user manual does not pop out of the womb. You would know as a dad, right. it's on the job training. Yeah. You figure it out. You make all the mistakes as you go. Yeah. So that's, yeah. yeah. And that's part of the apology free. Now right. for men and women, both, it is about really some of the simplest things you can do to be an apology free leader is to shut up and listen. Mm. Good advice. Just talk 20% of the time, listen 80% of the time, get to know each person on your team. If you know them, they're going to trust you more. They're going to know, you know them, and they're going to know that you have their best interest in mind. And they're going to know when you do make a mistake or when something goes awry, they're going to know that you didn't do it to them or against them, that you're doing your very best and that you do know them 
and they know that they trust you and they know that it was just a slip and you don't know what they want in their life. You don't know what their career aspirations are. You don't know about their family and their struggles. Then they're going to think that you don't really care. And now you're apologizing all the time because you're just making decisions like this and you're not considering the most important asset that we have is these human beings. But if you're just managing, they're just working for you. Right. And that's apology free. It's asking the right questions. It's knowing the people. It's knowing what makes them tick, knowing what's important to them, knowing what they love doing, knowing what they hate doing, knowing their dog's name or their kid's names, right? Right. Really knowing them and knowing what's important to them with their career and the business. And why are they there? Why are they showing up every day? That's really what apology-free is. As leaders, we feel like we have to have all the right answers, right? but really as leaders, we have to be able to find the answers within our team. To ask the right questions. Well, you even talk about this in your work. Having a title and authority doesn't mean you're a leader. You can no. be a leader and not be a manager. And managers have people who work for them. People follow leaders. Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about confidence and leadership requires courage. So let's talk about the confidence because some of us suffer from a lack of mm-hmm. it or we feel like we're imposters or, hey, maybe I don't have mm-hmm. that. You have a formula and several tips that we can focus on successes. I love some mm-hmm. of the things that you've written about. Let's talk about that on what we can do to build our confidence because everyone's at a different level. I think personally as entrepreneurs, as business professionals, as human beings, the one thing is our primary focus is to protect our confidence. Mm-hmm. There's so many things out there going to eat away at it. I'm getting older too. I'm ahead of you. But as a baby boomer, it's staying relevant, right? It's staying mm-hmm. relevant. It's a young people's world. And once we get a chance to share our wisdom, our insights and work with people, we can gain some relevance. But yeah. just walking down the street, I've got people opening the door for me now and saying, here you go, sir. You know, and <laughs> I have to say I'm a little offended. I'll get my own door. Thank you very much. Or they offer me a discount at the movie theaters yeah. and it's like, no, yeah. I want to pay full price. So you should take that discount. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm starting to embrace it. So let's start with that. I know mm-hmm. you have a number of remedies and focus on successes, do an inventory. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that. And then let's yeah. evolve into the I am statements because that's very, very yeah. powerful. If you're a leader, an entrepreneur, it doesn't matter if you're if you run a business for an organization or you're an entrepreneur, that confidence is so important because here's the thing about confidence. If you don't have it, you really can't fake it till you make it because people can smell it. Right. Right? <laughs> right. This is why the poker players wear baseball caps and sunglasses, because we all have tells. Tells. We give off body language and tells. And we all can read them, even though we don't really understand the language of it, because as babies, we learn to communicate by observing and watching, not understanding language. Right. So what we do, the way we hold ourselves, that confidence comes from really believing in yourself. Right. And if you don't, you're going to give off some tells. People won't know exactly what it is, but they're going to be like, something's not right here. And they won't believe in you and your product or your business because they can feel the lack of confidence. They may not be able to say they lack confidence, but they're going to feel it. They'll see the incongruency if you're not walking confidently. It's like even walking down the street. You can walk down the street clutching your bag, your Mm -hmm. purse, your backpack, and look timid and meek, or you can look determined, bold, and nobody's going to mess with you. If you've got that attitude, so body language does come into play a little bit. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Want the tip? Yeah. Okay, the tip. So the tip is to do an inventory of all of your successes, skills, abilities. Now, I learned this the hard way because I had worked for 10 years at Embassy Suites Hotels 
and it was time for me to move on. And I was going for an interview for a job and I flew across country. I was on like a three or four hour flight and I'm going on this job interview and I'm thinking, I have no idea who I am or what I've accomplished because I just worked. Right. right? So I took my resume and I, this was back in the day before laptops. Right. Right. So I had a yellow lined paper and a pen. Right. (laughs) And I I just, yeah, I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. Before we had laptops on airplanes and I just started looking at my resume and I started writing down all the things I had accomplished. Right. And so if you start, yeah. And if you start today, if anybody's done a recommendation for you on LinkedIn, if you've gotten any comment cards or letters or emails or texts from anyone that's positive, you want to print it up and put it in a file or put it in an electronic file because what we focus on, and we do this to our team member, our employees too, we always focus on what needs to be fixed right? versus where we're winning and where we're succeeding. You call it the victory yeah. file. Yeah, right? the victory file. So you want to create this yeah. and you can call it a wins, you can call it the glory file, whatever you want to call it. Sure. Do you create yeah, a file and you put everything positive in there? Every promotion, every letter, every accolade, stick it in there. So when you're having a bad day, you can open up that file folder and remind yourself how amazing and great you are because sure. we have bad days, bad months, bad years. Everybody and that's does. gonna and that's gonna drive you to have more confidence. And women are probably even worse at this. We do pick on all the areas that we need to improve on. We're constantly trying to evolve ourselves and we forget all the skills and all the gifts that we bring to work with us and all these abilities where we You're have You're focused self. on the deficiencies, not the strengths. Right. Instead of right. building on the strengths. And that's great advice is get your victory file, open it up, take a look at mm-hmm. it and take an inventory of your successes, the things yes. that matter. The second one you talk about is acknowledging yourself daily. And we yes. do that with meditation, with I am statements. Yeah. Let's talk about the I am statements for a minute and maybe share a couple with us. Are there some that are common? So I have 40. Oh, yeah. Because I started with three. Right. And when I learned this technique, so I'm 60, I just yeah. turned 60 this year. And I learned this in my early forties mm-hmm. and I went through, I think men and women, we go through this a little bit differently, but women, when you turn 40, you're kind of like, okay, it was hard. I really struggled with it. So a few years into my forties, it was before I got let go from my job, but I was starting to go to the gym and work out and just start working on myself. And I went to this silly little weekend program. And the woman talked about these I am statements. And the idea is you do, you do an inventory of all the negative statements you're making about yourself that you're unaware of. Mm -hmm. So you think about when you first wake up in the morning, what's on your mind when you first wake up. And it's those beliefs that you have, like, I'm tired might be one of them, but you stand in front of the mirror and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm ugly. I'm old. I'm fat. I'm this, I'm that. And a lot of them for women, it's about our appearance. But then if you think through your day, right, you might think I'm lazy, I'm dumb. Mothers will say I'm not a good mom. There's all these things. And if our little movie or tape in our self-talk, yeah, yeah, that self-talk, which is on autopilot, if we just let it go, experts believe it's 70% plus of all the thinking we have about ourselves is negative. Jack Canfield says 77% of our self-talk as children is negative, 87% of adults. Because it's just there. It's like a habit. It's constant. Yeah. So the only way to break that is to be intentional. And the experts agree that the best time to do it is in the morning, the first 45 minutes of the day. 
Mm. So instead of turning on the TV, the news, the radio, put something positive on so you can do it with affirmations. If you don't feel comfortable with a bunch of post-it notes on your bathroom mirror, because you live with six people and they're going to think you're crazy. Maybe it's just affirmations that you listen to. It's so easy now because you can literally take your phone into the shower, Right. right? Right. But I do I am statements. They're on my mirror. I have one of those toothbrushes that brushes your teeth for two minutes and in my head, read my I am statement. So I do have, I'm a good catch. I am young. I am youthful. I am strong. I am respectful of my body. I'm respectful of my, my mind. I'm respectful of my heart. I'm the best speaker ever. I'm the best trainer ever. I'm the best coach ever. I'm going to have the best day ever again. So these, as you do it, and if you just did it for three weeks and picked three or four, and I caught myself within the first three weeks of this practice, I'd be in the car back in the day we used to drive places. And I would be having these thoughts in my head and be like, oh no, 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 that's negative. And I would be like, cancel, stop, delete. And whatever it was, I was saying negative. I would just flip it like a coin. Perfect. And it has to be all positive. You can't have a double negative. And say it with that determination and intention, like I'm already there. I am this. Believe it. Yes. Believe it. Yes. Because we create what we believe. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Great advice. I do it every day and I don't have 40, but I think I'm going to expand my list after talking to you. (laughs) And I have a nice steam come back from the gym Mm -hmm. and I start with, I am productive. I will do the most productive thing I can at every given moment. If I'm working towards a weight goal, I'm 180 pounds and I will do and eat the things 180 80 pound person doesn't eat. I yeah, will, yes. I, right. So I bring in all those variables. So the I am mm-hmm. is really, really important. And, and then, self-esteem because self-esteem comes from within. That's a right. lot of us look for self-esteem outside of ourselves. And so if you've ever given somebody a compliment and they brush it off yeah. over and over again, and you get pissed off because they're, you're like, no, you're freaking beautiful or you're freaking handsome. And they're like, no, I'm not. The self-esteem has to be developed from within. I have one That's- more I am statement for your entrepreneurs yeah. who are dealing with money. You right. know, like they have an issue with money. Sure. I, have it, I have it up on the wall in my office. Yeah. So I am open and receptive to all the wealth life has to offer me. Oh, awesome. That's a great one. And it doesn't mean just money. They've got to look for wealth. There's a lot of things. I did an inventory of this number of weeks ago, and I would consider myself wealthy. And I'm not talking from a material point of view. I'm talking about, I have seven wonderful kids. They're all determined, all doing their own thing. They all have a mind of their own. We're very proud of them, mom and I. And we have four grandchildren and we love them. And it's the reward. And that's where I look at the wealth, not what we've accumulated. All right. Right. Now, the third one you talk about, and we'll kind of start wrapping up with this is Mm -hmm. pushing through the fear. So we've got finding our courage, right? Creating Mm -hmm. our victory, focus on our successes, acknowledging ourselves on a daily basis, and then pushing through the fear, which requires a decision to act, to speak up and to stand up. Mm -hmm. Let's let's talk about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. So pushing through the fear. So you have to do probably all the other steps first, right? Right. Because you're going to have a hard time pushing through the fear if you're not confident in yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. If you haven't done that inventory, if you're constantly doing that beat ups, right, of yourself, right. that if you've got that smack talk that you do yourself, <laughs> yeah. you're going to have a hard time pushing through the fear. Right. But when it comes down to it, and fear, have you read the book Mindset by Carol Estweck? I have. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny because everybody always talks about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people don't know that it actually comes from a book. Right. So right. the fixed mindset, one of the qualities, of, which is not a good mindset to have, is this fear of failure, right? Right. They don't want to fail. So somebody with the fixed mindset is kind of plateaued. They're stuck because they see the, what their abilities are as gifts, like they're universe given, God given. Right. And so I am what I am. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. Somebody with a growth mindset 
is willing to fall down and get back up. They're willing to go against this protective mechanism of ourselves that we have that we don't want to fail. And they push through that fear, knowing that on the other side of it, there's going to be success. Right. And so the only way we can get to the other side and learn is we're going to have to make some mistakes. But as adults, it's like we programmed ourselves that failure in many ways is bad, but actually failure is on the journey to success. That's right. Anyone that's had success has had failures that most of us could never think of enduring, but yet they've lived through it and they've survived. They've gotten to their side. So one of the things I try to tell myself is that if something goes wrong, it's not happening to me. It's happening for me. That's right. It's a gift because you're learning to develop your resilience and overcome the obstacles. And that's where greatness comes from. I agree with you. You say that the very health and survival of organizations require leaders to be courageous, confident, Mm -hmm. and decisive action takers, right? And that the challenge for leaders today is to really look at their departments and the business as if they had to start from scratch, starting over again. They evaluate all systems, their processes, staffing, services, uh, look through even as a customer and through a new lens in a way that they've never looked at them before is a good way post-pandemic where we can go. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to add to that? If you can be okay with accepting this fact, there are no experts right now. It is a level playing field Mm -hmm. because We hit the reboot on the entire world. There's no one alive today who (laughs) survived the previous pandemic and is an expert on pandemics. Mm -mm. So the playing field is flattened and anyone who is willing to take the risks, invest in learning and growing themselves and be willing to try new things. And here's where the leaders have to go is in their organizations, if they sat and thought about it, They've found skills and abilities that their team has that they had no idea because they had to change the way they ran their businesses. Well, what if you always did that? You just didn't wait for pandemic. You started discovering all these superpowers and skills and abilities and sweet spots within your team because you're constantly looking at your organization as if you're constantly coming out of a pandemic. And then just know wherever you are in the organization, the playing field is flattened. And the person who is courageous, who's a pioneer, who's willing to make some mistakes, who's willing to create, to to come up with new ideas, who's willing to fail along the way, who's willing to listen, right? Right. And work on themselves. They're going to have the biggest advantage because they're adapting. We talk a lot about resiliency and I believe resiliency is one thing because when you're resilient, you get back up, you dust yourself off and you're back to where you were. The only way forward is to adapt. Right. We don't want to just get back to where we were. We have to go beyond. It's evolving. I'm a Darwinian at heart, the whole survival of the fittest. And we do evolve. And yeah, it sucks when it happens. But when you get time and distance and you look back at it, it's changing things. You've really shared some wonderful insights and strategies with us, Kathy. How do people find you? We're going to put everything in the show notes so they can get hold of you. But what's the best way to do it? Yeah, I think if they know that my name is K-A-T-H-I, Kathy, I should probably just go spell it. K-A-T-H-Y on something, but it's Kathy with an I, K-A-T-H-I at Kathy, K-A-T-H-I speaks.com or go to Kathy speaks.com, K-A-T-H-I speaks.com. You can find me there, but email me. That's great too. And and I know you're approachable and we'll put all your contact data on the show notes. It's been a real pleasure having you, Kathy. An interesting conversation and the insights you've shared will help our listeners build their confidence and develop an apology-free leadership style 
and now they know where to find you. Been a yes. treat having you. Thank you so much thank for you. sharing some time with us today. It was awesome. Thank you for having me. I love these. So thank you so much. My pleasure. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.